As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And welcome to the Total Soccer Show. I'm Taylor Rockwell, and yeah, how has everyone been? I'm guessing probably not great. If you missed the news from this weekend, Daryl has been dealing with a cancer diagnosis for close to two years now. This weekend, he was told there's nothing more his doctors can do. He's now at home with his wife, Shannon, uh, and is receiving hospice care. I can safely say that it has been an emotional 24 hours. The outpouring of love and support for Daryl that you all have expressed has been just genuinely very amazing and emotionally moving. It's really easy when you sit behind a computer and talk into a microphone to forget or believe that people are actually actually listening. Uh, And so to see this sort of outpouring of support to hear from so many wonderful friends, it has been a true blessing. So again, thank you all for that. As I said on yesterday's show, if you want to write Daryl an email or send him a tweet, by all means do that. If you want to send him a letter or whatever else, you can mail them to our office. The address there is 530 East Main Street, Suite 912, Richmond, Virginia, 23219. In terms of what happens with the Total Soccer Show going forward, my aim is to continue putting out episodes, just as we have since 2009. I'm hoping to update you all more about that aspect of things sometime down the road, but I just wanted to take a moment to say that the Total Soccer Show is not going anywhere. Uh, Now, that said, that doesn't mean that you all can't go anywhere. Uh, I know it will be very hard to listen to this show without hearing Daryl's voice. If you think it will be too hard to listen, trust me, I get it. So if you want to take a break for a week or a month or a year or forever, self-care is important. I think above all else, Daryl just wants everyone to be happy. Uh, he's a man who once proudly posted about a one-star review, which claimed we were too soft and argued that it was a point of pride because the world needs more softness. So everybody do whatever they need to do to feel better about life. That, that, that I think, is a fundamental takeaway. But I did want to say this. Uh, Daryl and I, when we started the show, we wanted to prioritize asking why something happened, not yelling that it had happened. And that's something we 
we've always tried to stay true to. Uh, Daryl, I think sometimes better than myself, I tend to be more emotional. Uh, and I just want to let people know that that remains like my fundamental goal with this show. Uh, I don't want to get away from that. I want to continue to do the shows that Daryl and I would have done uh, and would want to do in a way that makes sense to us. So there are almost certainly going to be some days or weeks in which I can't bring myself to record. Uh, there have already been many wonderful people who have reached out to say they will help. They'll step in. They'll produce whatever it might be. I promise, again, to keep you all updated and also to be honest about what's happening both with him and the show. And that's my update for today. Daryl feels loved. He is as comfortable as possible. TSS is still here. Everybody hug everybody. And uh, Tyler Adams is going to win the Ballon d'Or. You heard it here first. End of update for today. Okay. Deep cleansing breath. (sighs) I learned about those in our pregnancy class. They're pretty great. They tend to work wonders. Now. On to today's show, I talked to the Athletics' Jeff Reuter about the Supporter Shield controversy, the USL Championship playoffs, the upcoming MLS Reserve League, and much, much more. Talking about soccer was a welcome distraction for me, for sure. I hope listening to us talk about it might be that for you all as well. So on that note, joining me now is the Athletics' Jeff Reuter. Jeff, thanks so much for taking the time, and uh, I deliberately pronounced your name correctly as opposed to deliberately (laughs) mispronouncing it, which is more so my usual nature. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tyler. It's really, <laughs> really, really good to be back. It's been two and a half years. So much has changed. I've added my pronunciation to my Twitter bio. I've gotten a staff job. Uh, oh, man. I'm still reeling. That is that is solid work by you. I was not ready for that one. Well played, sir. That feels like a good, uh, a good way to begin the back and forth of this episode, because we're going to be talking about a lot of sort of strange stuff, which is to say a lot of USL. Um, right. I've wanted to have you on the show for a while. I apologize. It's been two and a half years, uh, mostly because I just wanted to. You're, you know, you're, you're a good pal. We've hung out. Mm-hmm. Um, but also because you've been covering a lot of interesting stuff over at The Athletic. This is, to some extent, going to be a show in which I'm doing like a soccer version of the Chris Farley show from SNL of just basically Perfect. being like, remember when you wrote about that? That was cool. How'd that happen? Uh, <laughs> does that sound okay with you? Oh, that's great. My... Uh... My wife's from Madison, so anything Chris Farley related Perfect. is fine in this household. <laughs> Lovely. Right. Um, I don't know if you have yet written about the Supporter Shields controversy, is I guess how I'll introduce it. Uh, that is where I wanted to start because that was sort of the big news over the weekend. The board of directors of the Supporter Shield Foundation decides not to award the Supporter Shield. What are your thoughts on that decision and how much outrage has it sparked? My guess for the second question would be a lot. A lot seems like a good like there are some very advanced analytics that we use to measure Twitter outrage. And a lot is what our readers are showing right now. I think that it's I can't like, tell if that was a joke. Is that a real thing? I know. No, no. <laughs> I'm just like really yeah, impressed or whatever. What, what was it called? What was that? That like, um, uh, oh, crap, why am I thinking about this? Where you would you could like load all of your social media platforms in to find out your your clout. Your clout. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Nice. All right. That's, that's the real metric. That is the Nate Silver of So, so <laughs> angry, angry clout then is, is what we go with. Is mm-hmm. what we're looking for here. I think that there's like there's two sides to this. And I think that if you're going to take the the supporters' first statement at face value, which is to say that because we were not – I'm going to be very much condensing this. But because supporters were not able to be in the stadium – it is not this awarding for the same purpose as it has been since this award was created. If you look at the Independent Supporters Council website, it does say that the Supporters Shield, quote, is 
an award primarily for the supporters, that the idea is that it is for you being in the stadiums and you helping push Carlos Vela to play the best that he possibly can. So therefore, the award is as much for the 3-2-5-2 as it is for LAFC finishing with the most points. Uh, so then in that sense, you could justify it by saying that, no, the supporters did not play as active of a role as they did. Yes, some most put banners in the stadiums. I think I saw that a New England Revolution supporters group put in a banner of Dogzo, Pablo and my beloved dog, uh, from our Beats, Cleats and Eats piece of the weirdest trademarks in uh, American soccer, which is now tattooed on my body. And um, that is... Did not know that. Yeah, no, I got a tattoo based off of like the American Trademark Center. It's uh, I'm going to do something that's very good for an audio medium like podcast and show you a tattoo that no one else can see. But oh, yeah. Jeff and I are doing this uh, via video. That is indeed a, a lovely tattoo you've got there, my friend. Also sizable. Not you weren't like doing it in a small way. It wasn't lost a bet tattoo. It was legitimate you know, was, arm tattoo. I think that was a big part of it too. Is you don't want the shame tattoo. You yeah. don't want that to be visible and also. If you this got tangent. if you got that tattooed, can yeah. Pablo get the tattoo of him and like cro- was it crossed with a cat? Is that what it was? The horrifying creature <laughs> yes. that he created. Yes. Let's get that tattooed on Pablo on his neck. Like, yes, perfect. huge on his neck because he's almost out of real estate for tattoos. He, this is his true. arms are covered, his legs are covered. I think that his neck is next. Um, <laughs> so anyway, that yeah. that's a very good example of why supporters. <laughs> feel like Obviously. they you know like I, I get that side of it mm-hmm. i really do the the reason that this has become controversial is that the players now are saying well hold on a minute <laughs> we are still going through this season we have been going through this season and countless times have pointed out that we are doing this to inspire our fan bases our communities our clubs and try to galvanize in this just awful awful year and this 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 season where like is soccer the most important thing far from it but it is something that so many of us have looked forward to being a part of our life. And maybe it's a little too much of our life these days with how many games are being played to try to make up for lost time. But the players have been doing this for the fans. And so now for the fans to say, well, OK, but now we won't award this trophy to whoever wins Toronto, Philadelphia, Seattle, whoever ended up coming out on top. The players feel spurned. I think Alejandro Bedoya put out a very um, direct response, quote, tweeting Greg Vanny's comment saying his players were pissed off about this. Um where do you where do you tend to fall on this? You know, because I can see that there's there's two arguments that actually have something to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I will be totally honest here and say that, like, I because I think maybe because of the way we do the show, like and basically being in Richmond where we have the kickers, but I've never really been like in the section O crowd in the Red Army. I am right. I am not really a like standing and screaming the whole game type of person. Um, I don't know if that's just because I'm a bit more like bashful in those moments and I feel like no one needs to hear my voice. I don't need to yell. My voice is terrible sure. when it yells. You talk so, daily already. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So like like I think to some extent like it's a cop out answer, but I feel like I'm not really qualified to weigh in on it because I don't have that level of connection to a team. I think if yeah. I did, and especially if I were connected to a team that had been winning and I had been following them via like through the COVID era and putting in that effort and really caring about it it would feel like like a, a pretty sizable slap in the face or like a very confusing decision. I think it probably hasn't been helped by the way it's been communicated. And from what I understand, it was the initial statement said, you know, we, we communicated this to everybody. Everybody was on board. And then it kind of gets walked back or adjusted a little bit to like, well, we put it in the Slack channel. And if you didn't respond, you didn't respond. Like, I think and there's been... Turn on Slack notifications, right? Exactly, right. yeah. So it seems yeah. as though it's it's been 
a decision that like while I understand the idea behind it, I think it kind of maybe in my mind goes against a little bit of what the idea of the supporter shield is in the first place. So that's the best way right. I can sort of answer it in as honest of a way as possible. I think that there is a part of me that so I haven't been part of a supporters section supporters group for four years now. I was I was part of Minnesota United's Dark Clouds uh, when they were in the NASL when they moved to Major League Soccer. I, I separated that part of my viewing of the team, which is very easy to do when a team goes from the lower leagues to MLS because so much changes uh, that I, I haven't been a, a supporter of the team since. But I do still have many friends in that section because of those years in Blaine. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I do understand the the undeniable sort of like the, the fans are so important. The fans do become, especially for a team like Minnesota United, which doesn't have a global superstar like Zlatan or Rooney that they can slap onto posters. The fans do kind of become the face of the club. You think of the Timbers Army, um, you know, and you think of so many different clubs where that is the culture. Nashville SC, like the indelible first images have been like fan related things there's like what is it soccer moses there's yeah. the, the all the, the 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 song that they that a band wrote is a judah and the lion um yeah the point being like the fan culture kind of takes over mm -hmm. and and so i can see where they say like look this is we needed something as well we wanted to be able to honor the supporters groups that have we used points and successful teams because it seems like that's so linked together in yeah. so many of our minds. But uh, I mean, realistically, like I think a lot of us, as we talked about the shield, I, I'll speak for myself at least when I talk about the shield over the last 10 years, I think of it in terms of who is the best regular season team in major league soccer. I haven't necessarily thought of it in that same sort of origin story mm -hmm. of we are giving an award to the supporters themselves. So I think that a lot of us have had a re-education on what the shield is. Major League Soccer did put out a statement that they will still give a CONCACAF Champions League place to the team with the best record. There were some really interesting and strange kind of sentences in that statement where it, it, it talked about how, uh, you know, going through this abnormally difficult year, we will still do this for the fans. I, it, it was just kind of a mess, but it, it, it you put out a statement on yeah. a weekend. That's what you get. <laughs> that makes sense. W with that MLS statement for a moment, a lot of the this is pure speculation, not reporting, just sort of people wondering if this will be the moment that makes MLS then sort of take control of the Supporter Shield trophy or makes it into like an official thing that they own that's probably sponsored by Target. Uh, do you think that is possible or for right now or for the foreseeable future, do you expect it to continue to kind of exist as it has, albeit not in this year? I'm sure that there's going to have to be a, a nice uh, Zoom-based heart-to-heart between the ISC and MLS to try to figure that out. I know that, I mean, because MLS in 96 did not want to acknowledge who won the regular season because it was a playoff-based league, and so they didn't want to make it kind of messy of who's our champion. So they overlooked the regular season at first, which is where the supporter shield then kicked in. So I think that it was always just sort of a convenience that there was this often acknowledged by the league, written about... Uh, commemorated as you're looking at every year's like winners or you know they they will have something like winning the treble whatever and if Toronto FC was able to win uh, the Canadian Championship MLS Cup and the Supporters Shield they were called treble winners mm -hmm. 
that sort of thing. Uh, so I, th- I think that there's going to be a point where they have to say, like, look, we we have been using this and honoring this. And maybe this is a, a look in the mirror moment to say, like, we do need to do more, whether it is our own branding, whether it is Target because it's a circle. So it looks like a shield anyway, whether it's a tire company, because every tire company loves sponsoring Major League Soccer, uh, whether it's a tire, a tire surrounding the Target logo. Yeah, we got it right see, there we go. Circles on circles, circles on circles. And I, I think that you you can make that work. You can definitely make that work. I can design that in my mind. I think that that's, that seems to be the, the the natural solution is to try to find a way where if you really want to incorporate this as part of like one of the three trophies you can win with the U.S. Open Cup in the United States, then you need to have uh, some control over that. Because I think, frankly, right now, if they can't award a supporter shield to the best team and they're just saying like, hey, good job, Toronto, or whoever yeah. it is, that's going to be... Uh, a really difficult presentation for MLS to pull off. I'll say that much. That makes sense to me. So not to be outdone by MLS's sort of strangest this past weekend, let's talk USL for a moment. Here's a quote from the beginning of your article about the start of the USL playoffs. Uh, For one brilliantly mundane week in March, this was great, by the way, Uh, one brilliantly (laughs) mundane week in March, any discussion about USL championship could be solely focused on the pitch. Since then, the USL has seen a play stoppage due to the pandemic, months of tentative restart dates being delayed, a cynical series of pay cut proposals, teams hosting thousands of fans in major cities across the country despite the coronavirus, an investigation into a coach possibly choking a player. I ran out of oxygen. A beloved club folding and another club whose players faced racial and homophobic slurs in consecutive games. But other than that, just another professional year of soccer. Whew, right. That's a list. It is a list. My opening question about this one would be, ha- does the USL like have more issues than other leagues? Is it a little bit wilder or is it having these issues more publicly? It's, I think, both. Okay. Where there are more issues because inherently it's not single entity which means that a lot of the safeguard mechanisms to be able to prop up other clubs in your league or to look into relocation instead of selling or folding teams or uh, having a collective bargaining agreement to fall back on in issues of possible like player infractions, all this stuff, it's being acted out in real time in a bunch of committees having conference calls among owners and technical directors and players uh, every single week, especially as you're looking at the summer. I, I still think that it lacks some of the just like bat crazy sort of stuff mm-hmm. that the NASL was really known for. Uh, when when you're thinking about like coaches getting fired at an airport luggage carousel or a player getting traded for free hotel rooms and busing for a game because the team couldn't really afford the salary nor the lodging for a game with Pardon? Walter Restrepo. Pardon? <laughs> yeah, look up Walter Restrepo when he got traded in the NASL. Uh, or Quadro Poku getting purchased for $700,000 for NYCFC. Richie Ryan getting purchased for $750,000 in the same summer by Miami FC of real American currency, not allocation money. Real money. So <laughs> it still has a little bit of that work to do. And I think that they're very intentionally trying not to do that. But it is a league where... It's a reserve league for Major League Soccer for now, not for much longer. Uh, maybe we'll get to that. Maybe we won't. We sure um, will. Oh, great. Uh, and it is also trying to be the lower league system with community clubs where he's trying to say like Omaha, Nebraska has a professional soccer team. Right. And so they're trying to fill both niches at once, which has been a very difficult balancing act. 
And then you still have players who are driving rideshare apps on weeknights to try to make ends meet and players who won't have health insurance if they're over 26 sometimes and have to retire, even though their best years are ahead of them. Uh, it's it's a strange, strange circuit. Uh, it is getting a lot better, which which does help. Frankly, the on-field product is improving a lot compared to where it was, especially if you think five years ago uh, when it was a third division league. But it is... Um, it is as susceptible to headline grabbing scandals and what just happened moments. I didn't even list Eric Winalda suddenly like getting his contract terminated Forgot the week that. that play was going to resume yeah. uh, with Las Vegas. Las Vegas Lights didn't even make that list at all, which is so against everything that club stands for. Uh, <laughs> so it's um. It, it's all part of the territory of covering that league. All right. Well, let's talk about some of the teams that uh, are still in contention for the title. Uh, we do have our semifinals set in the East. It's Louisville hosting Tampa Bay on October 24th. Later that evening, it's Phoenix uh, versus El Paso. Let's start with Louisville, who, if we had Pro-Rel, would have been promoted, I think, three, four, five, twelve times. times. I'm not even over. sure. Yes. <laughs> uh, they would have started their own league at this point because they'd be so bored. Exactly. That's they, right. uh, it sounds like this season, though, was at least somewhat more challenging than seasons past. I think part of that was maybe relating to the new stadium. Uh, what's been the story of their season? Yeah, I, I think that they had... They had a couple of players leave who weren't their best players. They actually retained the vast majority of their like starting core, but they did have uh, they they were reintegrating Cameron Lancaster, who had set the USL record for goals, signed with Nashville SC, and was going to be making the move to MLS with the team, and then immediately got loaned back down. And so he had to kind of get his head right. I think there was also a sense of. He's coming back to Louisville for the first time since he set that record, and he's going to think that he's the guy, but he doesn't know the playmakers behind him or the wingers and how they move around him. So he had to do a lot of uh, kind of rediscovery of what it means. He also then was suddenly playing for John Hackworth, who has been the coach for a while, but he had less experience with compared to James O'Connor. So add on the new stadium where you have all eyes of the USL on how will the Lynn family stadium open? How does it look? How will this team perform? I think they won only one of their first four or five games at home, uh, which is not ideal for any team in a home stadium, much less one who is hosting thousands of fans, which is its whole other thing uh, in the middle of a pandemic and you're opening a privately funded stadium. It was a lot for them to live up to. And that doesn't even consider the fact that they had won the Eastern Conference and represented it in the USL championship final for three years running. And there's just inherent pressure that you mm-hmm. need to perform well. Uh, they've they've since really kind of come together. They've been one of the hottest teams in the USL down the stretch. If you're looking at September onward in particular, they I mean, they, they, they did a complete dismantling of Pittsburgh Riverhounds in just like the most clinical way it wasn't gaudy it was a 2-0 win but like this is a team that had beat them 3-1 in the stadium opener and and really were ineffective and then they go and they play against st louis and once again win by a 2-0 margin um they they look to be in very good form it's a very veteran team if you followed the usl whatsoever you'll recognize a few players on the team the speedy williamses of the world um benjamin lunt is their goalkeeper he's on loan from fc cincinnati it's hard not to wonder if he could be doing better than the goalkeepers they have at times um <laughs> as you look at Shemisla titon between the posts yet again um but I, I think that they will be set up well. Hackworth and Danny Cruz have done great work with that roster. Um, 
it's it's one of the few dependable things you've been able to find in 2020 is that Louisville City is once again contending for that title. So what do you think uh, are there like kind of long term aspirations with the success they've had? I believe they have a connection to racing Louisville, the women's team that they're that's, that's right. going to be operating. It seems like they're kind of laying the groundwork for long term stability. I'm wondering if you think that is in USL or whatever USL evolves into, or do you think they do have aspirations to maybe one day make it into Major League Soccer, albeit with a lot of a lot more investment needed to make that happen? Right. I, I think that right now the short term is let's let's be a more balanced version of what North Carolina has with Steve Malik's co-ownership of North Carolina Courage and North Carolina FC. Uh, I mean, racing will join next year. They've got sharp branding done by Matthew Wolf, which means that everyone loves it already. And they have uh, a lot to figure out in terms of who's going to play on the field. But they also do have a far better uh, USL team. I mean, like North Carolina FC always spends very well they have dave sarakin in his second year missed the playoffs this year though Forgot and about so that. there's yeah yeah and so but but they what they've found is that the marketability of an nwsl team is so much higher especially i mean to be fair they have like the best nwsl team historically through 2019 and then this year has been a difficult season mm-hmm. but by their standards anyway but they have been a far more marketable product lucrative sort of investment um, or operation than the USL team. Whereas now it's a USL team who is getting into the women's game. And I think that they want to be able to find a way for both to be sort of successful. Now, does that mean major league soccer? I mean, tell me how big this league is going to get and I'll tell you what Louisville's chances are (laughs) because if, if we only have two more spots opening up, you've got cities like San Diego, Detroit, Phoenix that have long been on kind of the wish list uh, for Major League Soccer and for Don Garber to be able to put the league into those pockets of the country. There are obviously a couple of other cities. I mean, the pie in the sky like Milwaukee, uh, Wisconsin might suddenly kind of creep up as they're starting to work towards a USL team that could be seen as another kind of leapfrog market. So I, I think that Louisville built it intentionally size-wise to sustain within the NWSL and the USL. Whether or not they'll either, like you said, get bored mm-hmm. because of how well they play in those competitions or they see like we just need to step up to be able to be um, to, to kind of live up to the potential of this club. I think a lot of that will have more to do with Major League Soccer than it will with Louisville itself. Much more still to come from my conversation with Jeff Reuter. But first, I wanted to let you know that this episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Hims. Hims is a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. We're going to talk about hair loss today. 66% of men start to lose their hair by the age of 35. I think mine probably started around 19. I'm choosing to believe that Bob Bradley's was just born that way because Bob Bradley with hair seems like a strange creature. Uh, If your hairline is slowly starting to move backwards, if you're starting to notice bald spots, the best way to prevent more hair loss is to do something about it while you still have some, and that is where Hims can help you out. Uh, No snake oil pills, no gas station counter supplements. You've heard us say it before, but it is worth reiterating. 4hims.com connects you with licensed medical professionals online, which saves you hours and allows you to do it discreetly from the comfort of your home. Uh, Answer a few quick questions a medical professional will review, and if they determine it's right for you, can prescribe your medication to treat hair loss that is shipped 
directly to your door. Today, Hims is giving you their best offer yet. If you're not happy with your results after 90 days, Hims will give you a full refund. And right now, our listeners can get their first visit absolutely free. Go to forhims.com slash total soccer. That's forhims.com slash total soccer. F O R H I M S dot com slash total soccer. Here's your disclaimer full refund of price paid available for first 90 day supply. Refund request must be made between 90 and 180 days after product shipment delivered. Prescription products require an online consultation with a medical professional who will determine if a prescription is appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for full details and important safety information. But remember, that's forhims.com slash total soccer. Thank you very much to Hims for sponsoring today's episode. Now back to Jeff. I believe uh, Tampa Bay for a while, Tampa Bay Rowdies for a while had aspirations. I don't know if they still do, but I do know that in the short term, they're feeling optimistic. They managed to get by Charleston in the quarterfinals. I think from your reporting, I should say that I'm correct in saying that that had been sort of their bogey team this season, having lost their three previous meetings. That's How right. did Tampa Bay pull that off? How did the Rowdies manage to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals? They decided to play defense. Oh, <laughs> a novel which, approach, which is a very novel approach. Right. But I think that they looked and their attack has really, really sputtered down the stretch. Um, they they have kind of like a rare kind of two striker partnership that you you just kind of love teams that actually still use it because it's so rare these days. But it reminds you of so many memories of your childhood, at least if you're a weirdo like me. And so they have Stephen Gonzati or Sebastian Gonzati and um, uh, Juan Tejada. Tejada has been hurt for much of the year. The young Panamanian who had finally broken through to the Panama national team. Uh, and so he's been hurt for most of the year, which means that their attack has been uh, kind of going in fits and starts. Charleston had found a really good way to game plan against them and neutralize that over the weekend. It was a really close kind of one zero game. But I think that they decided to just let their defensive core do the bulk of their work to kind of just take the energy out of the game because Charleston has such a quick attack, make it a lot slower, more condensed and then be able to advance through on a goal. So they they will come in with a lot of confidence that they've been able to either score four goals and win or score one goal and win, which, it's, again, all of these things are so simplistic that yeah. it sounds like it's kind of like belittling them, but that had been their issue in the postseason, was that either historically they had been one of the highest scoring teams in losing shootouts, or they would be just like completely unable to score and then let one mistake decide their entire season. It's been that way for about a decade now. So uh, they will feel confident that this could be their year. It is a dream matchup if you're the USL headquarters. I think that these are two teams that you want to make sure continue to be at the forefront of uh, your marketing pushes, of your, I mean, list of the strongest independent clubs in terms of infrastructure, in terms of branding, in terms of on-field play. Uh, it should be a very good game on both sides of the, the, the bracket, actually. But I think overall, Louisville probably just has enough to get past them in the end. But just getting to the conference finals is a step in the right direction for the Rowdies if you're looking to be able to be title contenders moving forward. And since you mentioned the marketing or marketability of teams, I wanted to ask about Phoenix for a moment. Phoenix Rising will host El Paso in the Western Conference semifinal. Their story should be that they've had a very successful season, another very successful season. Right. Instead, at least for me, again, this is like me editorializing for a moment. It is a bit tainted by what happened with Junior Flemings. What's been the response from the fan base as you understand it, as well as from the team itself? Because I, I, I'm sure that there are many, many people in Phoenix who are like, that does not represent us. Uh, like, yes. and, it, and to some extent, it feels like it can be unfair to paint an entire team with that broad of a brush. So I'm wondering what you have made of the response. 
Yeah, there's been two different sides from Phoenix fans. I think that it's not just you, by the way. It is the vast majority of people who follow the USL will look at it and just say, like, oh, Phoenix, like, they're still here because they they climbed over El Paso and another team with the three points that they got from San Diego forfeiting that result, which means that they're hosting El Paso instead of them going to El Paso in this round. And that inherently is just such a massive advantage that something just feels really dirty and scummy about the fact that it has played out like this. Um, yes, there are the this fans. This is me nodding, who... by the way, for listeners. Since you were <laughs> you clarified the non-video aspect earlier, I'll do the same again. I'm nodding over here. Well, you'll branch out to YouTube. Some, you'll start a Twitch <laughs> podcast. It's, it's inevitable. It really is. Uh, yeah, I think that there is... Um, you're nervously laughing at that, and it makes me think that there's something coming soon, but we'll get oh, there. Oh, no. There's, I'm nervously <laughs> laughing because I'm like, I'm aware that Twitch is a thing, and I'm aware that when the Cooligans set it up, I can be on it. I have no idea how to <laughs> set up or do anything with Twitch. I'm happy to be audio only. The world doesn't need to see this face. We're good. Oh, that's a great beard. Your beard looks great today. <laughs> Thank by you, the way. sir. Thank you. Sure. Uh, <laughs> questions about Phoenix fans. Uh, <laughs> there's like two different camps that I will tend to get, and I Phoenix fans are some of the most actives in my mentions and my replies on Twitter. And and the first will be, you know, like, I am glad that the club is proceeding without Fleming's uh, head coach. Rick Chance has also put himself on a voluntary leave and has not been coaching them this postseason. He was on the, the, the in that mm-hmm. clip that went actually viral, not just like soccer viral, but actually viral yeah. of him and Landon Donovan interacting at halftime of that game. That was, he, he was the one saying, like, how long have you been in this game? Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. He was he was the one who was saying they're just competing. Right. And so he has not been. He has been doing some serious kind of self-reflection. I've, I've spoken with him once since that event. Um, and, and he just needs a lot of time to process what's going on. So so they've had an interim coach. They have had Junior Flemings out of the lineup. They have only won games by the skin of their teeth this postseason. They have not looked like the same team they looked in 2019 or the regular season. And so there are some fans who are just saying, like, you know, it's justified missing your leading goal scorer and your head coach however i am incredibly proud of these players Mm -hmm. and i hope that we continue to you know show that the club is more than what those two people did that night Mm -hmm. um the the flip side of it is that everyone hates phoenix now that they've become the villains that everyone who says that they could lose or says that it's unfair that they advanced in the first round because solomon asante literally punched a ball in the goal uh, and wound up like uh, Karate Kid or Captain Falcon in Smash Brothers style and then punched the ball into the net. And then after the game, the cameras caught him talking to a trainer, kind of acting it out and laughing again about how that's how he had scored. And so the idea then is that anyone who says there should be VAR in USL again, mm-hmm. because that even just like a quick replay of the TV cameras would have caught that. You don't need to set anything else up. Or people who say that, uh, you know, there will be the underdogs despite playing at home against El Paso are have an agenda is the word that I'm starting to see. And it's always good, right? It's always a good day and a well-reasoned argument. Whenever someone comes to you and says you have an agenda, yep. you know that there is a thesis blueprint that is going to back that up at oh, its yeah. core. Yes, of <laughs> course. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Um, I, I have a question about uh, Solomon Asante for a second yeah. uh, because like, – Aside from the issues we've talked about, I wanted to talk on the field for a moment. He gets the equalizer for Phoenix. He did not take one of the penalties in the resulting shootout, at least as I understand it. In your playoff preview, you wrote that we should keep an eye on who steps up uh, to be a leader of that team. I think the quote was, Asante's lingering big game reputation after missing a penalty during regulation and requesting to be pulled before a PK shootout against Austin Bold. Somebody will need to step up. Do you think he did rise to the occasion given that he scores that equalizer but then doesn't take a penalty? I think that there's something to be said about a player who knows that they're better from the run of play than from penalty kicks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that I, I think back to what was it, 2015, when there is that never-ending shootout between the Portland Timbers and Sporting oh, Kansas City. Yes, the double post doubles. game, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, the double post game where Darlington Nagby literally has a towel over his face because he just can't watch, and he looks so sick, and he's walking up, and he's just like staring straight at the ground or at the ball, trying to tune out the Timbers army, trying to say, "I'm at practice, I'm at practice, whatever." And then he absolutely nails his penalty kick and runs and like sits with his back to the goal for the rest of it, despite scoring. Like some players, no matter mm-hmm. how good you are, just don't want that moment. And it, it's hard when you're the team's leading scorer, like. Solomon Asante was last year or their leading assist getter this year where you're kind of expected to be one of those five players who will say, yes, I'm taking it. And it's more of like the right backs and the left backs of the team who are not wanting to take them at all. But it's uh, yes. I mean, he scored a a, a real goal that would not have been overturned by VAR. And that (laughs) is encouraged. And (laughs) in fact, embraced by a team from their leading attacker uh, it's it's still just that question of like what what do you do if that penalty kick isn't in the conference semifinals? What if it's in the conference yeah. finals against El Paso? What if it's in the final against either Tampa Bay or Louisville? At a certain point, you know you 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 need those players who I mean for all intents and purposes is the equivalent of a designated player for USL scale. You need those players to be stepping up in a moment like that. You would not see a Carlos Vela shy away from that, a Sebastian Javinko, whatever. Like Those players need to be able to take those. And I think that is still lingering, especially for a team which, again, is not playing with the USL Golden Boot winner in these playoffs. And they need people to be able to fill those gaps. Uh, it's the most talented roster in the league. So they've got a ton of guys who will feel like they can make up for that. But I think overall, Asante is the player who will obviously be looked at as the best player in the league, possibly. And if he's not able to step up in those moments, it's just such a strange sort of separation between his ability during the 90 minutes and stoppage time and extra time compared to just five kicks back and forth and just not being able to play that game. So if they have a penalty shootout again, he might not step up. But if the goalkeeper gets injured and they need someone to step in and use their hands, (laughs) then maybe he can do that? Maybe he would volunteer to be goalkeeper. There we go. Which would be great because he's very short. And it would be very – I I love watching like uh, just the shortest player. Like like Miguel Ibarra at Minnesota United training would line up and he's about 5'7 generously. And he would line up in goal and try to make saves. And that warms my heart anytime you can see someone shorter than Luis Robles and Nick Raimondo in goal. So Every now and then though that then leads itself to like a player separating their shoulder and being out for three months because they were playing in goal and in training. So you you have both sides of that one. But I would enjoy that drama if it went to a penalty shootout with Asante 
Conte in goal. Uh, what are your expectations for that Western Conference final uh, for El Paso? What will be their approach and how do you think it plays out? So El Paso is one of the most consistent tactical teams in the league. Their their head coach is Mark Lowry, who worked. He was a, a player who was like just stuck in non-league football in his 20s. And so he wanted to go into coaching, decided to go over to the U.S., was coaching at a school in Orlando, was noticed by Adrian Heath, was starting to work with the Orlando Academy and then got an assistant coaching job under Tony Miola. Here's just a bunch of like random names in a Mad Lib style sort of bio. I'm into uh, it. <laughs> with the Jacksonville Armada to continue the Mad Libs nature of this conversation, uh, ends up taking over as coach when Miola is fired halfway through the season, becomes the full-time coach, and he immediately since then he has been a ball retention kind of Guardiola school of thought, and he actually does mention Guardiola in a profile I did on him this summer, as wanting to prove that it's not just the most expensive team in the world that can play with the ball at their feet. And in a league that is so, the USL still remains a league that is defend and counter and sprint on the counter and take your chances and kick the ball up to the fastest guys on the team and hope that they also brought their finishing boots along with their sprinting cleats. And he wants to kind of change that. He wants to be able to show that there are teams that are able to play with the ball at their feet. And there's a few of them this year, but they've been the most successful by and large. So they will be a team that wants to win the possession battle still. They will be a team that wants to work through the midfield, put together these 20, 25, 30 pass sequences that end in just a tap-in goal that everyone loves watching when it's in the Premier League, but no one ever thinks to see in the USL. Uh, so so that will make them a very tough matchup from Phoenix's perspective. They beat Phoenix this year. They played very well um, against them. So that that is going to be an advantage. They certainly won't lack for confidence in this matchup. And I think it's really going to come down to, has Phoenix worked out how to score more than a goal or two without uh, Junior Flemings? Yes, they scored four in the season finale, but they were playing against a really bad team. It was it was really easy for them to to kind of get through that first hurdle, necessary confidence, but they've struggled in the playoffs to be able to be living up to the caliber of that roster. So I think it's going to remain close. If Phoenix is able to score early and maybe get two before halftime, I think it'll be very difficult because El Paso is not a team with a lot of natural goal scorers. They're they're more of a, a, a the team play over just pure finishing. But if it does remain close, even 45 minutes in, I, I think El Paso is going to see that as a game they should win. So we shall see what happens with the rest of this season. And then moving forward, things get a little bit uh, more confusing, at least in my mind, because there was the news last week, Major League Soccer is bringing back the Reserve League. That's right. My lasting memory of the Reserve League will always be from <laughs> Grant Wall's book, in which he talks about the Galaxy like trying to find random people from the front office to fill out the reserve team roster for yes. a game. Yes. I'm assuming it will be better organized, more evolved this time round. I'm wondering if that assumption feels correct to you so far. <laughs> yes, uh, to the point where I would be surprised if they brand it with the word reserves, even though reserves does mean a U23 league. I'm sure that the league is going to announce it as like a U23 circuit whenever they get around to announcing it and finalize some details about the competition. The idea is that now that the DA is gone, long gone, and now that MLS next, all caps in the style guide, um, <laughs> that is a note that I got that we did not change. Um, I was actually trying to remember my notes from doing commentary on Tampa Bay because they have very specific 
things about how you're supposed to refer to them, and I think I have not done it successfully it's, at all. So there we go. Great. All right. Thalgates are important. That I think that's part of covering soccer in the U.S. is to look in the face of these re- specific requests of how to refer to things and capitalize words and just say no and keep going but talk about it as if nothing is wrong. Mm-hmm. So we now that Major League Soccer has yeah. the entire academy thing under its own control, that they are designing MLS Next and that they have Major League Soccer clearly as the senior league, as the main league, is it's in its own control. So they had this middle step, which for years, that reserve league model you were describing just wasn't working. There was no benefit to it. You played like 12, 15 games a year sometimes. So it didn't make sense to sign players that you thought could develop So you were just calling retired former teammates and seeing what they were doing on Sunday morning and if they still owned a pair of functioning cleats. And that's not going to be the vibe. You're not going to see, unfortunately, you won't see Brian Ching coming out of retirement. (laughs) What you will see, though, is the players who graduate from the Academy U19 level who are not yet good enough for Major League Soccer and had traditionally been loaned to affiliates or elsewhere in the USL or just not getting minutes in MLS for some teams will now be playing in that league. So the team that signs a 16-year-old homegrown goalkeeper where you're like, okay, well, what's the plan with that guy? He's not going to be ready to play for at least four years if you're being very optimistic. Now there is a place for that goalkeeper to play. So it is a U23 league, which means it's a reserves league, but it's not the reserves league like the NFL practice squad style that MLS reserves used to be. All right. So that that's a positive step. Maybe less <laughs> positive for the USL, the aforementioned, specifically USL League One, which I think... Uh, has what, like five teams that are uh, MLS affiliated. Right. What do you think this decision will mean for USL, specifically USL League One? It means that they're really going to need to accelerate some of their expansion timelines, mm-hmm. which is a double-edged sword because on the one hand, you're in more markets, right? You have more cities across the country where they have their own team where it's not an MLS reserve team. So you feel like, okay, we have more marketable brands, right? More more Matt Wolf commission checks for Crests, which is just a happier ecosystem. But on the other side of that, you have a lot of clubs that are still trying to figure out their identities, that are still trying to figure out how to budget, how to operate. Uh, last year, there was one club, Lansing Ignite, which launched and folded in 2019. Like the, the realities of starting a club, uh, it, yeah. it's different. Oh, right? I think that was the one where their owner was like, who knew that starting a, like a small market soccer team would not be a million dollar investment right away? I, right. I, I thought that was some staggering logic there. I know. Right. And, and you see it with like Fresno FC. Their owner didn't have enough money to prop it up for a couple years while they tried to figure out a stadium. Uh, it happens all over. So, so the, the other side of it is that when and the USL does claim that they have a much more rigorous vetting process than the NASL did. But in terms of lower division soccer in the US, the comparison will always be the NASL for the USL. And the NASL ran into some serious issues with vetting ownership and bringing in owners to places like Fort Lauderdale and Oklahoma City and San Francisco and all these markets that on on the map looked like places they wanted to have, but they did not do the necessary homework to make sure that there was a full marketing strategy, that they had enough money to be able to pay players. What a novel concept that is, that they wouldn't have an owner you take away 60 percent right. of the field turf and run in the middle of a season like Ryo OKC. 
So uh, yeah, I forgot that, about that is yeah. So that is where if you need to fill gaps, and right now there's only going to be one team leaving for 21, and that's going to be Orlando City. But for the other four, Toronto FC two, who did not play in 2020 because of the the many difficulties with crossing the border between the U.S. and Canada, just didn't even fight that fight for a reserves team. And then you've also got Inter Miami's team, Fort Lauderdale CF, which has played this year, uh, though many people may not realize that actually happened, that they are still playing games. You have New England Revolution, too, and then you have the defending champion, North Texas SC, who is Dallas's uh, second team. They will stay at least for 21, but then if they leave for 22, and let's say all of them leave except for Dallas, who seem determined to keep a team in a USL setting for competitive reasons, then you're down to eight teams, seven teams, and you need to have those expansion announcements ready to start on the field in 22, or else you're going to have just like a really condensed season. You're going to have like five, six teams in Eastern time zone, two in Central, and no one else in the rest of the country. That's a mess. So they've, they've got a lot of these sorts of just logistical nightmares of having a small league but if you're going to have to rush the timeline on some of these other markets, like uh, they're, they're talking with like New Hampshire, North Dakota, uh, Northwest Arkansas, Fort Wayne, Indiana, like all of these places that have been looking to start a League One team. And maybe we're saying, well, because of COVID, we're looking at 23. You're going to need more of those to be 22 just to be able to make the math work. So, so that league will definitely struggle much more. Uh, if MLS two teams do leave entirely, and and was it Orlando City B that has confirmed they won't be participating next That's year? Right. That's right. How do you think the league will will do without their their whopping six points? Will they be able <laughs> to make it up? I don't understand how Orlando City B didn't get the memo that Orlando City's good now. Yeah, it's. Um, I think there was a there was a, a meme like a Sailor Moon meme that was Orlando City B saying like my work is done, and then the USL <laughs> being like, well, you haven't done anything. And they're like, well, as I said, my work is done. done. <laughs> right, and it was one of those teams where Orlando didn't really utilize it. It's mm-hmm. not like there were a ton of players who were working up the pipeline. So, I, th- I think that it it is it is a blow anytime Florida loses a professional soccer team, but. I think the USL will find a way to endure. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Uh, and I wanted to stick with USL League One for uh, one more minute because uh, normally I attend at least a few kickers games, usually most of the home games. This season less so. I'm still very much in my social distancing bubble, so I have not been going to as many games, have not been watching as many games. What uh, is the latest with the USL playoffs? Because uh, I was not even aware that they were doing it kind of in a fundamentally different way than most leagues normally conduct playoffs. Yeah, for League One's sake, they're just looking to have two teams advance to a final. Because, I mean, it's so spread out, again, geographically, that even if you had four, it would be very difficult. And let's say that the two closest teams, it made sense to partner them up for travel. But then you have the first and second place team playing each other in one side and the third and the fourth because they're closer. Yeah, Uh, it was just going to be a mess. So right now, Richmond is actually like deep in contention to make that two team playoff, which is just a one leg final. It's a strange time to be alive. <laughs> it is a strange time. Right now, you would be looking at Greenville Triumph and Union Omaha, who are in their first season. Um, Triumph, though, looks like head and shoulders above the rest of the league this year, just in terms of like they have a lot of returning players. They made the final last year. 
John Harkes has been doing really, really strong work. He's landed himself back on the radar for DC United in terms of potentially filling Ben Olsen's position, which would be a strange sort of club legend turned coach leaves replaced with club legend turned coach. That would be odd. Yeah. That would be very DC, though. <laughs> yes, it would. That uh, Hiring a USL League One coach also feels like it would be very DC. I don't mean that as disrespect to John Harkes, because I've seen what his Greenville yeah. Triumph team have done. It just also feels like the, uh, the cost-effective measure, put it that way. Sure. And there are a lot of clubs where you can say, look, if we hire the ex-player, everyone still has a jersey of. It will work. Or, like, if nothing else, it'll make everyone feel good. There's Duncan Ferguson for a time. There's Ole Gunnar Solskjaer yeah, for probably true. too long, right? Like, these yeah. things can work sorry <laughs> can work for a while but the last club that probably needs to go that way is dc united yeah so all right so we'll see what happens in usl league one my final round of questioning for you relates to andrew carlton uh not surprisingly yes. i enjoyed your piece about andrew carlton particularly since i think a lot of times when you're writing i don't know how much access you had i don't really know what like the the background to that article was but i do sure. think that when you're getting profiles, a lot of times there's an inclination to like, and that's why it's all going to be different now. That's why they're on the up and up. And it can be really awkward when you read that profile of the person who was totally turning it around and then three years later is in the exact same position. And yes. I feel like you kind of left it a little bit ambivalent about Andrew Carlton and what's going to happen with him right. because we aren't really sure what will happen. I'm not sure he particularly understands what really went wrong at Atlanta, but I think he's also 20 years old and is trying to figure some things out. Um, it seemed as though he was pretty frustrated with Atlanta United itself. Um, and I kind of wanted yes. to start there with him feeling like he wasn't utilized properly. Make of that, that criticism what you will. But a lot of the comments I read in that article we're sort of about Atlanta United. Yeah, they haven't done a great job of bringing through young players. It's not a thing they've necessarily prioritized, and maybe people do fall through the cracks. I wasn't as familiar with that narrative uh, with Atlanta United. I'm wondering if you right. were and if you have thoughts on it. Well, I think that Atlanta started their academy before they went to MLS, and I think that there was a lot of hope among Atlanta fans that that would mean that, especially Carlton, who at that point was already like playing – uh, and starring for the U.S. youth national teams. He was like stealing the spotlight from Wea and Sargent and Dest on the same age group. And everyone was thinking like, OK, he's going to be the guy. He's going to be the next one who moves to Borussia Dortmund and start that whole kind of youth prodigy pathway. Because like his highlight package is still one of the best like three minute reels that you can make of any American men's player realistically i mean just like the, the flicks and turns he can do the shots from distance the yeah. kind of confident touches on the ball like he, he there's just so much like i don't know just so much flexing that he does on the ball and just so much like pizzazz i guess that he has in his play where he would win an and one competition i think with mm -hmm. his age group the, the 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 challenge of course then was one the off-field stuff that you mentioned like missing a flight or having a passport issue for a flight to Toronto last season, which made Frank DeBoer say that he has a lot of growing up to do. You have him out drinking underage with friends before um, a playoff game where he ended up missing MLS cup, missing that roster entirely because Tata Martino did not want to, you know, reward that kind of behavior. So there's been a lot of these kind of key moments where you're looking and saying like, that's where Andrew Carlton should break out, mm -hmm. whether it's like in the playoffs, getting to play, 20 minutes and have an impact to make sure that Atlanta seals a game and then he can parlay that into a strong next season or impressing a new coach like DeBoer and then missing that opportunity entirely. Where I think if you're looking particularly in Carlton, he 
was supposed to be that proof that Atlanta could develop players. But then when he had his issues, uh, the frustrations either with his career or with the club while will often be separated, but it's the same thing because they put so much pressure on him. The club put so much pressure on him to be as the first homegrown signing, their first player to take the field. Now you throw in the fact that also Atlanta United becomes an immediate MLS cup contender in 2017, even though they were kind of like the dark horse pick that year when you have Almiron and Martinez, everyone expects that you're going to be challenging for hardware. So you don't really have the same sort of patience that like an RSL, a Dallas, a Red Bulls can have in saying most of our lineup is set, but we need to fill in positions in one midfield, two on the back line. Let's give these guys a run out and see if they're ready. And if they're not, then we'll go bring in the veteran. They are bringing in the veteran before they're testing the young guys. Um, and, and so, I, I mean, George Bellow has had his own issues and a lot of that has to do with injury. But I think that they have struggled to see that sort of return on, I don't want to say investment because it's fans, right? And so the fans aren't necessarily having the same sort of like financial investment, but there's the emotional investment of we want to support our own. We want to see Atlanta on the field and we haven't seen that yet. Um, and, and, and so I think all of that, unfortunately, is placed on the shoulders of a still 20 year old who yeah. is currently playing in the USL. And it feels like he's missed his window, even though, again, he's still 20. It's uh, it's really strange because like we live in this world with 17 year olds making their debut and 16 year olds <laughs> playing professionally in Europe and playing for Champions League teams. And suddenly 20 years old feels like, oh, he's. Like, that's it. He's past it. It's just like, no, we used to think 28 was your prime. Like, let's, right. and, and kind of still do. So let's just calm it down there. There's plenty of time. But from what you have seen of him and then your interactions with him, like, mm-hmm. do you, do you still think he has that higher ceiling? Do you think like he could go to an MLS team? I think you wrote that in the article that like maybe a, a team will take a flyer on him and see what's there. Do you think right. he can, can still succeed and find that next year and find that, uh, consistency and stability? Maybe he hasn't thus far found. He, I think he can, but I do think that he will need a coach who is both like very clear from the start that he won't tolerate any sort of that off-field stuff, which most coaches will say, but some will let it slide. And we'll also need that same coach to say, but I am planning with you being within the top 14 players on this mm-hmm. team, and we want to make sure you're getting minutes every week. We just need you to keep picking up your rate and training so that you force your way into that top 11 or that top four to be an attacker or whatever. Mm-hmm. So where it gets tricky is that there aren't many MLS teams that you can look at and say they can afford to do that with a 20-year-old unproven American uh, winger slash attacking midfielder. Most teams are going to want to fill those spots with their most dependable players on the roster and then take their risks in other areas, which leaves Carlton out of luck. It might mean taking another single or another season in the USL championship, whether it's with Indy again, but because they missed the playoffs, there might be some changes there. So maybe it is going to Louisville and reconnecting with John Hackworth, who was his youth coach when he was coming up with like the U15s, U16s, U17s, reunite with him, get a run out in again, like we talked about before, a team that is always contending for titles, but would absolutely want to have him back because I know that they were in conversations with him before 2020, before he decided to go to Indy. So maybe he goes there, has a full season, stays healthy, and then it's a little easier for the Cincinnati's, the Minnesota's, the Vancouver's, the teams that don't really have academies actively putting in these uh, starlet type players to then take a look and say, hey, maybe this is where we take our risks. Final question for you is kind of a like craft question. Uh, like, so 
if I'm interviewing Andrew Carlton, I think I'm preparing for it to be uncomfortable because there are topics that <laughs> I know I want to ask, but don't know if I trust myself to ask them delicately, which is sure. maybe a thing of a podcast that you don't want to ask a question that makes the person shut down immediately. I think right. Alexis of the Cooligans takes the alternate route that like if Giuseppe Rossi is on their podcast, he's going to be like, yeah, why do you hate America? Can you talk about that? <laughs> like there's a way to do that. And then there's like the the way I'm imagining you did that. But do you have that level of trepidation? Is there some hesitation? When you're talking to a player and there are obvious things to talk about that, you know, have the potential to sort of shut that interview down really quickly. Right. Yeah. And I'm I'm also from the Midwest, which means that <laughs> addressing some of these things is not always yeah. the most comfortable yeah. notion. I, I tend to try to go a little more Chicago than Minnesota in terms of actually addressing these a little more face on, even though I'm from Minnesota. I, I think that. With that, when, when you don't have the video component, you mm -hmm. also don't know, and you're on the phone, which this interview was, you don't know if they are like sitting in a spinny chair like you and I are yeah. and are just kind of spinning in circles or like looking at their phone while spinning. they're on speaker right, or whatever, have a headset, have ear pods, whatever, where sometimes you just don't know. Well, you can't tell. And that's the difficulty, mm -hmm. by the way, of covering USL Major League Soccer in 2020 is that so much of what has helped reporters out is having that day-to-day -day access, whether it's in training or after games, to be able to just kind of shoot the breeze with these players so that when you have to go in and say, why haven't you been playing or why has you haven't scored in five games, like at a certain point, I'm sure you're frustrated. Mm -hmm. That work has been done throughout the season, whereas like a Carlton call is a one-off, right? I don't cover Indy 11 terribly frequently. So in that sense, it's, it's more of like ask two or three lead-in questions that are going to be more comfortable. Talk about how this season is going. Talk about, um, do you still follow Atlanta United as you're kind of easing into it? Do you keep in touch with the George Bellows? Do you keep in touch with George Campbell, your, your teammates, your peers from your youth groups? And then are you surprised that you aren't in Atlanta in this year where they're struggling? Do you think you could have helped the team? So framing it instead of like, uh, you know, you weren't good enough for this team that sucks <laughs> this year, which Atlanta did. Right. Uh, then it's more of a do you watch Atlanta mm -hmm. and wonder what could have been if you stayed there? And then knowing because it's Andrew Carlton, then his response immediately is, oh, I was never in the plans in Atlanta. And and they told me from the year end meeting last year, I wasn't going to be there. But now he feels more comfortable about it because he's not pinned into a corner. He has a little bit more places where he could have just said, yeah, I see my flick ons that I'm giving to Tyler Pasher right now. And I have to wonder how, wow, who's that striker these days in Atlanta? <laughs> because it's not Joseph. Yeah. yeah. You know, like how would JJ Williams yeah. have run onto this back in the day? That sort of thing. Yeah. Um, that makes it a little easier. Yeah, no, that that totally does. So we've talked about uh, a lot or a decent amount of your 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 work, your recent work. There's also the one about Houston's new look. Uh, it didn't make sense to me to kind of get into a visual <laughs> a visual thing on the pod. But uh, what else Which, have you got coming up soon, or what else are you looking into or working on? Yeah, I, I'm I'm in the middle of writing a piece to to kind of commemorate St. Louis FC, uh, who are it, it's a weird one because like most of the time when lower division clubs fold in this country you're like well of course right like no one's surprised no one is surprised because they'll see the infrastructure they'll see the warts they'll see the lack of spending on the field in the final years but like st louis operated their own stadium they had an academy that was actually giving them players who were getting some minutes finally they had a decent run of coaches in terms of the level like they had Precky, and then they moved on to anthony pulis and then they moved on to steve tritcha like um like at least Pulis and Precky, those are ambitious hires for a USL team. Mm -hmm. And then they had like a top eight player budget. So it's not even like they were one of the cheaper on-field products that a ton of veterans that they trusted that most teams wouldn't want to pay. 
and they're folding. And, and there's just something that feels a little different about this one because it also says a lot about how fine the margins are in American soccer, especially once you get outside of Major League Soccer. So there, there's something that's just a little sobering about that. So starting on that, tracking a couple of other uh, potential major like coaching organizational changes. I think right now at this point, it's like burnout of watching 10 games a week or whatever. There's just too much soccer. There has been since MLS's back was back. And uh, and then it's get back into more of that reporting shtick, work on some long term features I've been wanting to write for a while and just try to catch my breath a little bit here. But there's a lot that's going on at The Athletic right now. Nice. As, uh, as you talk about oh so frequently. So yes, indeed, sir. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I, I I can confidently say it will be fewer than two and a half years before we have you <laughs> back on the show. But for now, Jeff, thank you for taking all the time to talk USL Championship, USL League One, Andrew Carlton and a lot of other stuff as well. Yeah, thanks, Talon. And uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully talk to you before 2023.